0: Hello, welcome to the podcast. My name is Drew Johansson. I'm the head diving coach at Indiana University and the head diving coach for Team USA here at the 2020 Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan.
1: And I am Aaron Rooney. And I'm Heath Calhoun. Um, Like always, we like to start just by saying thank you um, for coming on with us, Drew. You know, when we started this a couple months back, we, uh, we sent out emails to a lot of people that were like, we'll never get a response. And and uh, we were shocked that you responded the next day. And we're like, I'm interested in what you guys are doing. So, uh, you know, we're, we're happy that this was able to kind of materialize and actually get you on. Very, very honored to have you.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Obviously, the response is uh, shows that there's a need. So thank you for putting the podcast together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing too, uh, extremely special to have you on here. You've always been a a huge uh, role model and, and just a little bit of a diving idol for me, but uh, you are over there in Tokyo. As we speak, uh, we have women's three meter synchro coming up in about 11 hours. How was the, uh, how was the travels over there? How's everything going?
0: You know, the team's doing great. Um, Travels were as they are for any trip to the other side of the planet, Uh, you know, a little tiring, we had a little extra COVID testing and uh, protocols to get into the village bubble, uh, but we've been settled in now for a while, and uh, the facility's fantastic. Uh, the, vi- the village is uh, everything you'd hope for an Olympic village to be, and the team is really, bon- team and staff is really bonded, and uh, we're excited to get things started.
2: Very nice. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of get right into it here. Indiana University has always been a powerhouse, at least as long as I can remember, uh, with Dr. Huber before you and now just the continued dominance. How, how do you continue that legacy? How do you do it? What, what's, the, what's the secret sauce over there at IU?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's built into the culture. Uh, obviously, uh, Dr. Huber's time uh, um, was a continuation of what Hobie Billingsley did one of the first professional diving coaches in our country uh, when when our industry, when our profession began. Uh, I'm I'm only the third here at Indiana, so it shows that uh, um, once you're here, it's uh, a place to be until you're done. Uh, The support is fantastic, and obviously the rich tradition and the legacy that's here is what drew me to Indiana. It's, It's always been a dream job of mine. Um, ever since I started coaching, it was viewed when Hobie was the coach here. And then obviously Huber for most of my diving career. So it was, uh, the place to be. And uh, when I got the opportunity to, to become the IU diving coach, it was, uh, a tremendous honor and, uh, the structures in place, you know, I walk out of my office every day and the banners that cover the wall with these massive photos, photos of, Hobie, Billingsley, and, and Doc Councilman, and Mark Spitz, and Mark Lindsay, and, and even some of our new uh, champions that are hanging on the wall, looking, looking down at the pool. And it, it's just a small reminder, or maybe not so small, but a reminder of uh, you're part of big, something bigger than yourself. And uh, you want to do the work today to continue uh, all the success that has happened in years past. So it's just part of the culture here.
1: And- That's awesome. Um, you know, you had mentioned that that's always kind of, you've always had your eye on that job. What was, what was that like for you transitioning from, from you were at Duke previously and then transitioning over to IU? Um, you know, did you change things up from what Dr. Huber did? It seems like, um, everybody has their, their way of going about things. Like what was that transition like for you taking over such a successful program?
0: Well, it was unexpected to, for starters. You know, I had just uh, come off of the 2012. Yeah. I was surprised when I got the phone call. I uh, had no intentions of leaving at that time, um, but the opportunity was was um, so great uh, for me and my family, and and it was like I said, a dream job that. Uh, that was probably the only position that would have pulled me away from Duke was Indiana wow. University. And then in getting there, you know, it was uh, a much bigger program, much bigger everything, uh, much bigger expectation, much bigger, better swimming team. Um, so the first couple years was a, a learning period for me, but we, you know, I got focused on recruiting and was able to pick up some top recruits early. And uh, they set the culture of the program um that was in place uh with little tweaks here and there based on how I uh, run a program and uh all in all I'd say it was a smooth transition considering um you know the the strength of the program when I came in and and uh um where it is now you know so no no real major changes um other than you know my teaching techniques we we employed water belts which was something that uh Um, is kind of unique to my training, Uh, a different style, a different pulley system, a whole belt system in the dryland facility. They created a dedicated dryland space. I'm sure Dr. Huber's, you know, a little uh, jealous because he's been pushing for it for so many years. And then when the new coach comes in, they get it. So, uh, um, but we were able to really expand on the dryland training here at Indiana University um, when I came in. And then the technology side uh, really went in with the support and, uh, that IU offers its diving program in the same vein that it views its basketball program or soccer program. You know, the, one of the premier sports here, um, when I started sharing my ideas with some of the technology and, um, video capture sharing and dive analytics, uh, I had the resources to make it happen. So, um, it's, uh, been an amazing beginning it's hard to believe it's all, it's been eight years already uh and we got a lot more to go
2: wow you, you you mentioned diving analytics and that just kind of uh sparks a huge interest in my in my brain can you go over some of that you know whether it's choosing certain dives, other dives, we see that you have on staff kind of an analytic guy what's the uh, what's the mentality there what's the help and the focus and and how do you make those decisions based on basically statistics and numbers
0: yeah our our sport is very subjective so i'm on the constant search for objective measurements uh whether it be the number of dives you do just a simple dive count you know how many dives did we do today and then in what categories were they um and then start balancing your training based on not what you'd necessarily planned to do but what you actually did because every day you make small adjustments in practices for athletes you you do extra reps than you thought you would do or or you do less than you thought and uh getting that those that those analytics of what the the true objective measures were uh, is where we started with just counting dives I mean, this had been done you know in my years um working in south florida at the mission bay facility when Ron O'Brien was coaching down there with Greg Luganus. I was a very young coach. And um, you know, I was I joined the staff right after they left, but there were a lot of documents left behind. And I found documents of, you know, Greg Luganus's training where he would do 10 of each for score and, and Ron would chart it and it was all handwritten. And then he would kind of compile that with a calculator and a pencil and uh, was using dive analytics back then. Um, what we're able to do now with, uh, technology, uh, and, um, the different type of software packages out there to help crunch data is kind of taking it to the next level, level. So I'm looking for objective measurements, um, whether it be performances and competitions, quality of training, volume of training. Um, and then, and then obviously analyzing our competition. Uh, it's so easy to get meat results now and to get detailed meat results, uh, that I'm able to really dig deep into you know who the best divers are in each event and uh, and what's the standard that we need to get to to be at the top of that event as well as to help figure out you know who might be the best potential synchro partners here within the US um, you know what are the synchro dives that are needed and let's do a search or a, a little query on you know who's got the best, front inward and twister in the women's tap tower event because we knows those are the dives that are needed to to challenge the podium and then maybe you find the top six or seven of those girls and you start looking at who might match up so um, dive analytics has been used for a long time um i my first exposure to it was like i said when i was able to get a peek into how ronald O'Brien trained greg luganis uh when i was just starting out as a coach and uh And it's so cool on where it's going and uh, how the diving community has taken an interest in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I absolutely love that. You know, specifically, Heath and I, before the Olympic trials, we had a little uh, podcast where we were talking about divers and specifically Andrew Capobianco and his, uh, his, his back three and a half. I know that's just such a massive dive, really, for anybody. But on the men's side, that seems to be the one you know, a few years ago, the big decision was front three and a half pike or front four and a half tuck. And that seems to have uh, transitioned into front four and a half. I mean, everybody's doing that dive now, but
0: uh, yep. can you, can you say that again? You dropped for a second. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Yeah.
2: Where, where did I, uh, where did I last have you?
0: The, at the beginning of your question.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> diving analytics, I, I was just kind of saying, you know, Heath and I talked uh, on a pod about Andrew Capobianco's uh, back three and a half tuck. And, and it seems now that the decision was made to, uh, you know, do back three and a half tuck versus back two and a half pike. And can you go over that decision making process? You know, um, in the past, it, it seems that most men were deciding between front three and a half pike front four and a half tuck. And now, you know, it really does seem like everybody's doing front four and a half. What's the, uh, what's the process between, you know, the two backs there?
0: Well, when I when I look at you know our competition, the divers that I'm seeing in the pool here every day, and the men's three meter, um, you know the top six to ten uh, have been using 207C for the better part of more than this quad and into last quad. Uh, if you ever go back to the 2012 Olympic Games and Zakharov's gold medal on the men's three meter was done with the 207C back yeah. in 2012, so. Um, And it's a risk reward thing. You know, it's so hard to make teams here in the U S we have such a deep field. Um, So sometimes we played a little conservative, especially in a three, three list format where cumulative scores count. So, you know, knowing that Andrew's, hopefully this is his first Olympics and uh, (laughs) knowing that that's the standard. um, And then we've been training the 207 and the, the numbers were good enough to make it a, uh, a, a calculated risk, and and uh, the the risk reward side for us was more about um, if we didn't make the team or if we don't perform well here with that dive, um, we're gaining the the experience that we need uh, to do that dive really well in Paris and beyond uh, for the rest of his career. So um, and that happened here in the U.S. You know, even back in 2016, very few men using that front four and a half playing it safe with the 109 but the rest of the world taking more chances um and getting familiar with the higher dd dives uh, made it our margin for error to reach the podium you know means you had to be you know at a almost a nine point average on your dives because the dd was low and whereas um, the margin for error with that list that andrew has right now is not as big, and uh, and we did. We just decided we needed to commit to it. Um, we've been kind of waiting, you know. We were pre-COVID. We were gonna. We tried to make the World Cup team in 2019 with a 205B, and we didn't. Um, and then COVID came, and we had the collegiate season where maybe it was gonna happen, maybe wasn't gonna happen. So we kind of hesitated on pulling the trigger on 207C for the NC2A season. Managed to get a nice victory there, but realized that yeah. it was time to commit that, you know, there's only two more summers until the Paris Olympic Games uh, comes our way. So we need experience on that dive now, uh, especially if we're going to consider any other dives, if we're going to consider a triple out, if we're going to consider a three and a half with a full twist, whatever it may be. Um, if we don't have that 207 C 3.0 for a 205 to 36 six, that's six, bump. Um, then, you know, uh, it was a calculated risk and, you know, if you, if you look at his performance at trials, he had two really big misses, um, but was able to, the other five dives in his list were so strong (laughs) and consistent that it kept him in the mix. And then, you know, the performance that he gave in that final was kind of a near podium performance. Anything over 500 in that event is now you're talking about, I might have a chance at the podium. So. He, it was, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. Uh, we've learned a lot by taking the risk and now we're learning more by succeeding. (laughs) And, uh, there's a whole new world we're living in right now. And every day we're, uh, we're gaining more and more valuable knowledge on how to manage that dive and, and the list that's needed to, to try to individually challenge the podium.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, um, Aaron and I were, it's, it's really fun to get to watch trials as fans, And we kept saying that, like, we, I think we called each other every night and it was like, oh, he missed that back, but everything else was so spot on, (laughs) you know? And, and we're like, well, like, you know, after two lists, he missed both of them. We're like, well, now you have to do back three and a half. And then he drills it for 75 plus points. And we were like, that's why you do back three and a half. And, um, (laughs) you know, I guess my question would be, what was, what was that moment? Like, you know, I know that that was, that was his third dive, if I'm not mistaken, correct.
0: It was, uh, no, it was, he does twister, twister gainer back.
1: Okay. So
0: So yeah, fourth round. So,
1: so I guess it's like two parts. Like what was the moment like when he came over to you after that dive, uh, you know, externally with your athlete, knowing he still has two more dives that are, that are strong, really strong dives for him. And then what was that moment? Like internally being like, he hit it like game on, let's go. Like, what was that like for you as a coach?
0: Well, internally, I was a wreck. I was a mess. I was, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I have this new, uh, Apple watch that I wear. And, uh, um, it tells me, you know, when I'm exercising or not. So I was sitting in the chair and my watch was buzzing at me, telling me that I was exercising because my heart rate was so high. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, So, um, as far as externally, you know, um, I really was watching his external reaction to it, of which he didn't break character. Um, he appropriately acknowledged he finally got one down. It was almost a relief, but he was, as he walked out of the, across by the hot tub and over to where he sat, he went right back into his normal nice. um, mode, the face that we see and and sat down and there was no over celebration because all that did was give him a chance um because yeah. he still had to deliver two more dives yeah and uh and you could tell he was very aware of the moment but based on his reaction so uh um so it was uh, it was pretty special
1: uh, that's wonderful you know what um it almost sounds just from from the way you're speaking at the moment that maybe the the big goal that you've looked at is paris and, and maybe it wasn't wasn't unexpected but maybe a, a a happy surprise that, that he's there right now. But, um, you know, what is that like being a collegiate coach in America where maybe, you know, the big goal for a lot of these athletes that are diving with you, especially is to try to make that Olympic team. How do you set both goals? You know, NCAA is yearly, you know, at least how I would perceive it. And then your Olympic goal is every four years. How do you incorporate those two things together for training?
0: I mean, they complement each other. Or, or you have to take that, that kind of mindset that, you know, we're so fortunate in the US to have the NC2A, to have an organization that allows our kids to continue to pursue higher education and professional careers beyond sport while still having the resources and ability to train and, and be at the level that can challenge anyone in the world. And uh, the NC2A season is a great tool for us to. Uh, to fail, to experiment, to learn how to compete, to learn how to travel, to learn how to balance life. It's uh, so, you know, we, when you, if you can embrace it in that mindset, you know, success on the NCAA level equals success on the world level, plain and simple. If you look at who our NCAA champions are, um, they're usually our Olympians and Olympic medalists, you know, go back to Troy DeMay, go back to, um, Jenny Keim, my wife, go back to Nick McCrory, Abby Johnson, go back to um, Christian Ibsen. You know, they're all they're all in college or just recently yeah. out of college and uh, and utilize those resources to kind of maximize that period of your life when you're when you're emerging as you know, that's kind of the, the, the last step, you know, in college, you either make that step to the international stage or you're right on the cusp of it. Um, or you finish your collegiate career and, and you have a degree to move on in your professional life. Uh, it's really great because a lot of other countries out there don't have that. They don't have all the meets that we have. They don't have the ease of competition. They don't have the pressure of the television and what the NC2A brings and the Big Ten networks and all the networks out there. Um, we're so fortunate to have the collegiate system and it's, it is the backbone of our Olympic success.
2: Awesome. Yeah. I really like that too. Um, typically for these interviews, we save our signature questions for last, but I kind of wanted to do that in the middle here. And then we'll touch a little bit more on the Olympics coming up. Um, signature question from me, Drew is I I ask people, what's your favorite failure? Um, sometimes failure is a little bit of a harsh word. So, you know, your best learning experience from something that maybe just didn't go the way it should have.
0: Oh, without using names, I'm, you know, when a diver gets injured, in any yeah. way, shape, or form, especially yeah. in our sport, you know, hitting the board. Um, yeah. Those are the, those are the wake you up moments. You know, we push the edge, you know, they, they stand up a gainer or get over an inward a little bit. And um, you know, you want to give them positive reinforcement. You don't want to scare them away from, you know, taking chances, but you know, that's a fine line. And, and when, yeah. when the coach makes that mistake um, and the athlete gets to, gets injured uh, those moments are the most uh um memorable and the biggest learning moments for me and and as I've gone on and and you know just over time you're going to have more failures um, right. um uh, that one is paramount and 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 as I've you know coached that way and worried about I've learned you know a little bit more about you know how to teach an athlete to use the direction use moving away from the 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 equipment as a way to generate momentum and speed and it's constantly improving me as a coach as I I just want to keep them safe so those are the those are the moments I can remember every one of them and uh uh, hopefully I'll never have another one
1: yeah right absolutely absolutely um so we have three other like questions that we always ask so one is what is your favorite drill to do with your athletes whether it's dry land or water
0: my favorite dryland drill is uh, a multi bounce on a soft trampoline. I should be clear on that one. Um, right. Really slow poly bed with the springs taken out or budgies put in. Um, but that kind of jumping with purpose, you know, it incorporates fitness, it incorporates a dynamic move, and it incorporates technique as well as right. posture. So it's kind of an all in one. Uh, in the water, you know, we uh, for springboard divers, we train a two bounce, which is a very specific way to practice the coordination of a hurdle step that one I'll need to do every day, all the time. And then, uh, and finally it's just, you can't do enough entries.
1: If you would listen back to any of the podcasts, who is somebody you would like us to interview that would make you want to listen to the next one?
0: I would love to hear you guys interview Armstrong, uh, knowledge and experience, but also for the entertainment value.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And then, uh, my last question is what is the best advice you have either given or received?
0: Um, I received it and I give it. And, uh, you know, the the secret to it all is to blend sport with your culture and education to blend, to be seeking that blend, uh, every day. And, uh, you know, someday sport will be a little more higher than education or culture. And, and that'll, it'll, those three things will move up and down on the chart as your life goes on. But if you're constantly seeking to blend the three of them, uh, you're going to be happy. Perfect.
2: Very good. Another, uh, just kind of uh segueing back to team USA and the Olympics and just getting excited about it. Um, I've noticed team USA this year, really young. Very talented. What's uh What's the team atmosphere like this year? I know you've been the Olympic coach a, a couple of times. What's it like this year?
0: You know, every year the teams bought everything they had to to the games, uh, and this one's no different. As far as the team here uh, in the village compared to past and the atmosphere, it's each team has been very similar in the energy and enthusiasm they've brought to the games. Every team has had a young component with a, with a veteran, you know, element. If you go back to 2012, you know, David Badiah was an Olympian that, you know, um, was mentoring Nick McCrory along as a Synchro partner and uh, Kelsey Bryant doing the same for Abby Johnson. Now we have a similar scenarios with, you know, Michael Hickson and Andrew Capabianco and Jessica Parado with Delaney Schnell. And uh, so it's a great mixture, great energy. Um, it's a, it, it really is the feel of an Olympics, which everybody is worried about because of COVID concerns, but they're going to blow the whistle today at three o'clock and uh, the hearts are going to be pounding and everybody's going to be watching and uh, we all can't wait.
1: That's, that's wonderful. Um, you know, what, it, what is it, one, I, I can't even fathom what it is like to be named an Olympic coach, let alone getting the honor to be the head coach. Um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about that, but also, how does coaching all the athletes work? Do you guys like team up? Do you stay mainly focused with the IU divers? How does that all work with the coaching staff and the balance of athletes?
0: Yeah, the the honor and being given the title or named the head coach is, you know, strictly off of a point system of Um, you know, whether it be the most events, most athletes, um, every personal coach comes. So we come together and we're Team USA at that point. And uh, um, each individual coach is here taking care of their athlete. The staff is here in full support of it. All the coaches are equally supporting and contributing to trying to get these 11 kids to be at their best at the right time. Um, So it's really kind of cool as, you know, over the years, we're always competitors in the U.S. at, at yeah. whether it be senior nationals, trials events, and the NC2A JO nationals. And uh um, this is a time where we really get to. Anytime you go on the road with an international team, um, to bond as Team USA and learn from each other, support each other, and and once again, just do everything we can to allow the best. Their turn,
2: right? Yeah. <clears throat> I really like that. Uh, Maybe a, maybe a very simplified question, but what are, what are the goals for this week, either personally or with team USA? Obviously we'd love to see a bunch of medals, but uh, maybe internally just staying calm. What are the, what are the goals for team USA?
0: You know, when we were talking in our team meetings, you know, in the days leading into today, you know, we, if we can perform at or above the level we did at the Olympic trials, we should, we will all feel good about whatever result comes. Um, we had tremendous Olympic trial performances. Everybody did. That's why they're on the team. And uh, if we can duplicate that, and maybe in some cases even take that next step to slightly better then uh, that's one heck of a, that's one heck of a games. So it's rare um, here at this major event that uh, people have all, everybody has their peak performances. So uh, um we all know what we just did a month ago uh, in Indianapolis, and um, everybody, for the most part, is feeling excited and uh, and healthy and ready to get after it. And uh, Whatever obstacles are in our way, um, you know, it's either six dives or um, in a final that are going to you know make the difference. And we just want to have everybody ready when that whistle blows. So goals Excellent. are to dive at the level that we did at the Olympic trials.
2: yep very good and what's something whether it's uh something you're looking forward to most or an event what what is that what are you looking forward to the most
0: um you know watching my athletes uh, perform watching how they react watching you know what happens like we said when we saw andrew finally hit a 207 after two (laughs) lists of missing it um to just see how they uh take this experience um for those that are might be retiring, you know that it, it be their their last um, time in the competitive venue, and and how they experience that. For those that are dreaming of more, um, you know how they respond to to the situation they're in today, and then using that information to to move forward and, and continue to get better in the years to come.
1: That's awesome. But I always look
0: forward to watching how how people react to. The moment.
1: <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, my my last question for you, Drew, is how how after so many successful, amazing achievements in your career and your athletes doing all these things, do you have any advice for how to take the moment in and just how do you do that? You get to Tokyo. How do you actually just appreciate the moment instead of maybe like my biggest issue that I've always had as a coach is. You know, I had my first athlete qualify for nationals. And I think I was so concerned with making sure I did everything he needed for me at that moment that I don't know if I necessarily took the moment as a in as a coach to be like, wow, like he did all this hard work and look where we're at because of the like the work we put in together. How do you take the moment in and appreciate it?
0: Yeah, it's um I guess as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little better at it. You know, I there are probably uh, things of that first Olympic Games that I missed or didn't remember or, or recalled afterwards. And, uh, you know, uh, practicing being in the moment is really an important thing. That's what an Olympic trials is for. That's what right. an NC2A championships, a zone meet, a region meet is, you know, you're practicing being you're in moments there, small moments and that are going to take you to another place and take you to another moment. And and um, so I, I think that's kind of what it is and each one is is different you know different takeaways uh different things that you either recognize in the moment and we're able to react in, in a good positive way or things that when you look back on it you might have done differently and uh that's what next season's for is to take yeah. all that and get better <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's always next season right
0: yep yep awesome Love it. thank you
2: Well, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of all I had. I just wanted to thank you again, dearly from the bottom of my heart for taking some time you're over in Tokyo and we're excited to see you on the big screen, coaching your athletes and and the entire USA team watching them dive. I know I have alarms set for 2 AM (laughs) for the rest of the uh, 10 days here. So I'm really excited to watch everything and and to be able to have a conversation. It was really special. So thank you again. Yeah. Yes.
0: Thank you. Once again. Thank you guys for putting this together um, and look forward to, to hearing more of these podcasts. I've the heard tremendous success. This. great thing for
1: Very good. No, yes. Thank you.
2: If anybody out there is listening, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram. We are at the diving pod and our Gmail is the diving pod at gmail.com. Now uh, we will see you next time.